0: Welcome to Elam St. John's Podcast. This is Pastor Fred Penny from Elam Tabernacle in St. John's. Merry Christmas. And I want to invite you to our Christmas Eve services, 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Saturday, December 24th. And throughout the month of December, our morning worship gatherings are 10.30, 10.30, And you're most welcome to join us. I hope to see you there. Our teaching today was given by Pastor Fred Penny, lead pastor at Elam Pentecostal Tabernacle in St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada. So God created mankind in his own image. The image of God is stamped on each of us. What does that that word image mean? Well... Image, you can think of a photograph. It's an accurate representation of. And when it comes to the image of God, we have within us a moral likeness to God, a sense of justice, for example. Whenever you speak up and say, that's not fair, you're reflecting the image of God because God is a God of justice. God is spirit, and we are also spiritual beings, and we have spiritual desires and needs. We have mental and intellectual likenesses to God. Intelligence and creativity has been given to humanity in a way that's not been given to plants or animals to create and to invent, to discover new technologies. This is a reflection of the image of God in humanity. And relational. We have relational likeness to God. God lives in community, in the Trinity, and we also have a need for community, for relationships with people. Now the entrance of sin into the world stains and corrupts the image of God in humanity. And so like an old painting, a Rembrandt, if you will, that has been crusted with dust and dirt and moisture and needs to be restored. So the image of God in each of us needs to be restored through the redemption of Christ on the cross. Jesus represents the purest representation of the image of God and God incarnate in Christ our Lord. Now, at the return of Jesus, at his coming, the image of God in us will be fully restored. Now, you will immediately notice here, of course, a chasm forms between God as creator and evolutionary theory. So if there's no creator there's no image of God. And if there's no image of God, we relinquish the most powerful and beautiful reason for humanity, for dignity and the sanctity of life. Because now we are just reduced to a collection of atoms and molecules. We lack a spirit. That means everything concerning humanity is now subject to opinion and philosophical perspectives. And if this is true, it leaves the very future and existence of humanity in peril. But the Bible says we were created by God and for God and for God's glory. And this gives our lives dignity, not only dignity, but sanctity and purpose. And so when it comes to the preborn or the unborn, We look to passages like Genesis 1 and Psalm 139, and we see that we're made in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. You created, the psalmist says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In Luke chapter 1, the birth narrative of Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 13, the angel comes to Zechariah and says, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. You're to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Isn't that interesting? John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit, even before he is born. This speaks of the baby having spiritual capacity while still in the womb. Now in Paul's letters, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own, you're bought with a price; therefore, honor God with your bodies. This this temple idea, this temple concept, is is magnificent because in the Old Testament, the temple, Solomon's temple, was a place where God dwelt, and now Paul says God dwells in us; we're the dwelling place of God by His Spirit. And then he says, you are not your own. (laughs) Notice how this goes against self-determination and human rights. You are not your own. If you're a Christian, you belong to Christ. You have been redeemed. He says here, you have been bought at a price. And the price is the blood of Jesus, our Lord. And so Paul says, honor God with your body. The Christian ethic speaks to our diet, our sleep, our exercise, our sexual morality, and morality in all its forms. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Honor God with your body. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we find our ethics in the scriptures, not in the cultural norms that we inherit. And so our loyalty is to God. Paul says, honor God with your body. In James chapter three, famous chapter about taming the tongue and being careful how you speak to people. James says, Use your words to bless people and use your words to praise God. He says, if you curse people, if you criticize and gossip and slander people, he said, you shouldn't do that. Well, why not? What's wrong with it? James says, because you're doing that to someone who is made in the image of God. And someone who is made in the image of God needs to be treated with respect and dignity. And so that informs our ethics, even to the very words that we speak and how we talk to each other. Now, in the second generation of the Christian church, after the New Testament canon was written, the second generation of Christians published a book on Christian ethics and Christian discipleship called the Didache. And the Didache say, states this when it comes to how we treat children and babies. You see, in the ancient world, if you are not a believer, if you're in the ancient world, a father treated a child like property even at times like an animal. And so the the father could be very harsh and could sell his children. All kinds of abuses could have happened. And so the Didache speaks to these issues. If you're going to be a Christian and a follower of Christ, here's what it says. You shall not murder your child once it is born. And you should not murder your child by abortion. Now that's written by the second generation of the Christian church. Some people think that document was written in the first century. Others would say the second. But it's a very, very ancient document produced by the leaders of the church. Now in modern, because of modern technology, we can see a fetus a baby in the womb. At four weeks old, the heart is pumping blood. Four weeks. By nine weeks, the fingertips of the child's hands are starting to form. At 12 weeks, the nervous system of a child can experience pain and feeling. Theologians differentiate between the dignity of life and the sanctity of life. The sanctity of life, that word sanctity sanctity speaks of holiness. Life is not only to be dignified, but understood to be precious and holy, a gift from God himself. And so the, the famous... 20th century theologian Karl Barth said this, the unborn child is from the very first a child, a person and not a thing. He who destroys a germinating life kills a person. And now I'd like to share with you a testimony from someone who was involved in the Roe versus Wade story. This is the lady who was Roe. Her real name was Norma. I'll read an article, I'll read some excerpts from an article written in 1998. Norma could out cuss the crassest men, she could out drink many of the Dallas Tavern regulars. She was known for her hot temper. When pro-lifers called her a murderer, she called them worse. When people held up signs of aborted fetuses, she spit in their faces. She had a reputation to protect. As the plaintiff in the infamous Supreme Court case, Roe v. Wade, Norma's life was inextricably tied up with abortion. Though she never had an abortion herself, abortion was the sun around which her life orbited. She once told a reporter, This issue is the only thing I live for. I live, eat, breathe, and think everything about abortion. And then a pro life group moved into her neighborhood. I'm not sure, it wasn't it was her neighborhood, it was an abortion clinic a pro-life group moved in next door. And one of the volunteers at that pro-life group had a daughter, a seven-year-old daughter named Emily. And Emily started to show affection toward this lady named Norma. And one day they had a conversation. Roe, or Norma, and this little seven-year-old girl. Norma said to her, to the the child, I like kids, and I wouldn't let anyone hurt little kids. To which seven-year-old Emily replied, then why do you let them kill babies at the clinic? And the article says, this childlike innocence opened Norma's heart. Norma wasn't won over by compelling intellectual arguments. While the adults targeted Norma's mind, seven-year-old Emily spoke to her heart. And over time, seven-year-old Emily began to personify the issue of abortion And then Norma renounced abortion. You can reach us by emailing info at elum.nf.ca or by calling 1-709-579-9678. That's 1-709-579-9678.